Today I'll be concluding the sermon series I've been preaching entitled Aliens, Strangers, and Reformers. So far in this series we've been looking at how God has consistently told his people, first the Jewish people, the Israelites, and later we Christians, that we are not to be like all the other people around us. That we are set apart for him. In effect, that we are to remain aliens and strangers in this world, to be different both in how we worship and how we live. But the fact is that down through history, the temptation to be like others around us often has been too great. So over and over, first the Israelites and then we Christians have ended up betraying God's faith in us. Either by following after uh, and worshiping other gods, that is putting other things ahead of God and his will for us. Or by giving into greedy materialism and seeking gain by taking advantage of the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the strangers or foreigners in our midst. Sometimes our greedy materialism has actually become our God. In past weeks, we've looked at God's commands that we are to welcome foreigners in our midst, that we are to do so as being as important as caring for the needs and being welcoming to widows and orphans. We've also considered how we as Christians are to relate to money and material possessions and the dangers, especially in modern Western culture, of making an idol out of material wealth. And last week I talked about telling the truth, how for we as Christians there is no room for alternate facts or fake news. Instead, we are told that God hates lying and that we, therefore, are to tell the truth in love. Now as we finish out this series, I want us to look at one of perhaps the best-known passages in Scripture to help us sum it all up. This is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, beginning with the first verse. Hear now this which is the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. This is, as I'm sure you probably know, the start of the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the five great discourses that Jesus gives in Matthew's Gospel. And you can always tell these discourses because they all end with when Jesus finished. There is more after this for the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this first part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably uh, almost certainly the most famous part, we know as the Beatitudes, the nine blessings. The word Beatitude comes from the Latin word Beatus, which means blessed. Blessed usually gets translated happy, and that's where I get the title for today's sermon, Be Happy. But it really is much more than that. We don't have a good English word to really convey the meaning behind Beatus. Uh, But the Greek word, uh, makarioi, is 
means really to be fulfilled. It means to experience joy, to be complete. It's so much more than just happy. It means to be whole in yourself. Suffice it to say that blessed is what we all want to be. It's what we're all looking for more than anything else. To feel a sense of completeness, of joy, of fulfillment. And this is what this is all about. Now we can start by saying that without a doubt, when Jesus spoke these words, the Jews who were listening to him as he gave the Beatitudes must have thought he was completely nuts. Jesus had already developed a reputation as being a great teacher and preacher and healer, but what he started out with saying on this particular day must have sounded like crazy talk to them. To the Jews of Jesus' day, as with most people today, the signs of God's blessing were obvious, and in this world, they included long life and wealth, a large healthy family, a full barn, and defeated enemies. In this regard, the Israelites were rather like a spoiled child at Christmas who evaluates the success of the holiday based on how much stuff they got out of it. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. In these Beatitudes, Jesus is saying to the Jews that they have reached the point the time when they must put away childish things and grow up. And Jesus is saying, it starts now. You stop thinking in terms of God blessing, God's blessing only being the, being the stuff that you get, but rather start taking seriously what it means to be a mature follower of God. Jesus tells the people listening that what they thought they knew was all wrong. That really being blessed involves not getting stuff, but rather being the kind of person that God desires us to be. Jesus essentially identifies four things that are the key to true happiness, fulfillment, joy. Those things are to have faith in God, to be obedient to God, to be honest with ourselves, and to show love towards others. The Jews most certainly did not get that God's blessing was on those who were poor in spirit, mournful, meek, merciful, and the rest. This, to them, was all wrong. It was completely upside down. It was crazy talk. Those words must have really jolted them from this one who was being proclaimed as being a great teacher. Everyone in that day, and most people today, think they know that happiness comes from having great possessions, from having a position of importance and authority and from enjoying all that wealth and popularity and position can buy for you. But Jesus describes happiness in terms that are the exact opposite of that. He told the people that happiness, true happiness, deep felt satisfaction and joy was not dependent upon their circumstances, but rather it was dependent upon how they saw themselves and their relationship with God. True happiness does not come from external circumstances, but from inside us, from humility and self-control, from moral strength, from spiritual awareness, and then from service to others. The focus needed for true happiness, Jesus makes clear, is the inward condition of the heart. But this is not just a Bible study about how strange and unexpected Jesus' words were for the Jews 2,000 years ago. 
It's not about Jesus telling his listeners during his time that it was, for, it was the time for them to grow up spiritually and understand what real blessing was and where it came from. No, Jesus is speaking to us here, and we need to hear that. Because as much as the first century Jews thought that blessings and happiness were measured in material wealth and success, they couldn't hold a candle to us. This has been the theme of this series of sermons, that our whole Western culture flies directly against everything that Jesus taught us, especially here in the Beatitudes. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, but our culture says, no, blessed are the competent and the confident and the self-reliant. Blessed are those who mourn, no, Blessed are the beautiful people we see on TV and in the magazines, the actors vacationing at Saint-Tropez with their perfect bodies and tans, the celebrities skiing in San Moritz with their perfect teeth and hair, the, sing the singers partying in New York with their perfect cars and perfect homes and perfect friends. Those are the people that are blessed. The not blessed are the people who mourn, or so we think. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, and we want to say, no, blessed are the proud and the important and the powerful, and on and on. Every one of the values Jesus gives us in the Beatitudes is exactly opposite of how so many of us think and believe today. And it certainly is exactly the opposite of what the magazines we read and the TV shows we watch try to tell us is important in life. I've said before, no one wants to watch the lifestyles of the meek and mournful. We want to watch the lifestyles of the rich and famous, or whatever other more recent programs or publications might give us a vicarious little glimpse into the lives of people who look so happy and whom we envy so much. We all fall into this to some extent, to one degree or another. We've all had the experience of thinking if we could get that one thing, that would make us happy. That new job or raise or new house or new car or new relationship, if I could just get that, boy, I would be set. Only to have gotten that thing and then quickly gotten bored with it and wanted to go on to the next thing we thought would make us happy. Have we not done that? I've told the story several times before of my first stereo. You remember my story? Well, some of you haven't heard it, so I'll tell it again. <laughs> my freshman year in college, my brother was a junior, two years ahead of me, and his roommate was selling a real stereo system with a receiver and turntables and separate speakers and the whole nine yards. It was beautiful. And as I was trying to figure out how to scrape together enough cash to buy this stereo, I remember telling myself, man, if I can get this stereo, I will never need another piece of audio equipment as long as I live. <laughs> Sound familiar for you? Well, I was able to buy the stereo, and the reality was I barely had the speaker wires connected before I was buying stereo magazines and dreaming about my next piece of electronics, which happened to be a TAC tape deck. And there began a long, sad story of electronic acquisition, which you can see the evidence of if you come to Carolyn in my house. We, um, we have a few things there. 
Now, I thought that stereo would satisfy all of my needs. I had wrapped my whole sense of value up in it. It would make me happy. But it didn't. None of our dreams about stuff will make us happy, will make us fulfilled, will give us the comfort that we're looking for. And that includes more money or a new house or a new job or, or even a new relationship. Those things may be blessings and they may be something we enjoy, but they will not give us the thing we're really looking for. Jesus told us that 2,000 years ago. He shattered all of that way of thinking about possessions or money or even relationships with other people. The idea that that would satisfy us, he blew that apart in just a few minutes when he gave us the Beatitudes, the true way of blessing. True happiness, true joy, Jesus says, does not come from possessions or from pleasure, but from longing, oddly enough. True joy comes from longing for God and the things of God. Fulfillment does not come from being popular or powerful, but in doing what is right, which often will make you unpopular. And real joy does not come from winning against the competition or proving that we are more powerful than someone else, but rather it comes in helping those, especially those who are weaker than us, and especially in helping them find their way to peace. You cannot be addicted to the values and expectations of our popular culture and be happy in the Lord. It will not work. You just can't. You cannot be driven by the desire for popularity and power and money and find happiness in Jesus. You just can't. Blessing does not come from things or even from other people, but from God and from our attitude toward God. That truth is especially present in the Beatitudes and in the first Beatitude, the one that lays the groundwork for all the others, the one that is most difficult for many people to understand, and that is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What, we have to ask ourselves, does it mean to be poor in spirit? And what does it mean that those who are poor in spirit have the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? To be poor in spirit simply means to recognize that we are not okay on our own. I'm okay and you're okay simply isn't true. I've had people say to me the problem they have with the Christian church is that they don't like the idea that they uh, are going to have to take a crutch that they don't want a religion to be a crutch for them. Brothers and sisters, we need crutches. We are stumbling through life, falling on our face over and over. To be poor in spirit means to recognize we are not okay on our own. It means that we humbly admit that we have need. We have especially a spiritual need that we cannot fill by ourselves and that cannot be filled by anything the world has to offer. To be poor in spirit means that we acknowledge, as Blaise Pascal said, that there is a God-shaped vacuum in our heart, an emptiness, a place of emptiness that only God can fill. To be poor in spirit simply means to recognize and confess that we are weak, that we need God, and that we cannot be filled by God until we first empty ourselves. 
Once we recognize our poverty of spirit and our dependence upon God alone, He desires, He wants to fill us with His grace and love, to give us the wholeness and the satisfaction we know that we need, but that we can't find in any of the false promises of the world. To give us the joy that is the kingdom of heaven, joy that begins in this life but will be made more perfect in our eternity with Him when we reach the other side. It's also true that when Jesus was with his disciples, he said several times that while he was there, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, the terms are used interchangeably, that the kingdom of God was in their midst. What that means is that Jesus Christ was the kingdom of God incarnate. He was the kingdom of heaven appeared to his followers. God's love come to earth to be with his people. So in a very real way, when Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he was saying, you will find joy when you recognize your own emptiness, your own poorness in spirit, because I am there to fill you and make you whole. When we admit our own emptiness, the kingdom of heaven, who is Jesus Christ himself, is available to us. Jesus was and is the incarnate kingdom of God in heaven. And he wants us to know that when we recognize our brokenness, when we admit our need for him, he is there for us. To love us, to comfort us, to give us the blessing of joy in him. You see, ultimately, it all comes down to Jesus and our relationship with Jesus. That, I believe, is why the last beatitude draws it all back to our relationship with him and how it is that that relationship sets us apart from the world. It says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. All of this is rooted in Jesus. Every Christmas, there are cards that come out, particularly Christian cards, that say Jesus is the reason for the season, and that's very true. But more than that, Jesus is the reason for everything. We are told that all creation was made through him. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. John 1. All creation came through him, whether we recognize it or not. Christ is before us. He is behind us. He is within us. He is in all things. Everything began with him. Everything comes back to him. Everything is based upon our relationship with him. When I've talked about telling the truth, when I've talked about having a right relationship with money, when I've talked about welcoming the foreigners, none of those are really something that we can do well apart from the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. He is the one that empowers us to that. So the bottom line is, do you want to be happy? Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to find true satisfaction, to be truly fulfilled and joyful? If so, you have to do two things, just two. First, you have to recognize that the world's road to happiness is false. We have to acknowledge that money or material possessions or power or popularity cannot make us happy. 
We need to stop reading the magazines and the catalogs that make us desire more things thinking that will make us okay. And we need to stop watching the programs that make us think that some thing or weight loss or tan or trip is going to make us happy. Stop thinking that whatever we say or do is fine, is justifiable, is acceptable as long as it gets us some advantage over others in the world. And secondly, after admitting that the world's route to happiness is false, we have to recognize that we need Jesus. Without him, we truly are poor in spirit. We have to admit that we are not able to be truly happy on our own. The God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person is what Jesus Christ is there to fulfill, the kingdom of heaven in us. Without that, we will always stumble from one thing to the next and not find satisfaction. God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill our desires, to fill the emptiness that is in us. He was fully God and fully human so that he could be the bridge between us and the God we desire to have relationship with. The thing we were made for, to be in relationship with God. And apart from Jesus, you will not find satisfaction in your life. You may have fun once in a while. You may enjoy things. I'm not saying that. But ultimate fulfillment? I once led a group in when I was in seminary in California at a church. And the church was quite secular. It was an Episcopal church. And I was leading a group. And some of the people in that group were about as secular as you could be. In fact, they started out the first night, the man whose wife was hosting it at their tea house in San Marino, California, if you know the setting. Um, he said, you know, I don't need God. I don't want God. I just want God to leave me alone. That was the group I was leading. And I think God gave me words because before the last session we had, he actually had tears in his eyes. And I said, you know, at night when you're lying in bed and you're looking at the fact that you have a beautiful spouse, a family, that you have a huge home, you have a successful business, you have everything the world says that you want and you look inside your own heart when there's nobody else there to impress and you say something is still missing, I know what that something is. That something is Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God incarnate, who wishes to fill you in the way that nothing else will. And relationship with him is as straightforward as saying, you know, I believe this is true. And I want to be in a relationship with you, Jesus. I want to learn more of you. I want to rely on you and not the things of the world. So now I want to invite you to bow your heads, everyone. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have never acknowledged the fact that only God can fill your needs, and He does so through Jesus Christ, then I want you to pray with me this prayer. And if you know Jesus, if you are part of the body of Christ, then I want you to pray for the others who perhaps may not be. So for those of you who have not yet committed yourself to Jesus, I want you to pray with me. Dear Lord and God, I confess that I am empty. I confess that I have followed all the wrong paths, all the paths that the world offers in an attempt to try to feel fulfilled and completed. 
But I recognize now that I cannot be filled without you, Lord. There is nothing in this world apart from you that will fill the vacuum in my heart. And while I may not have all the answers, I accept the fact that you are the one that can provide those answers for me. And so please, Jesus, I invite you right now to come into my heart and fill it. Show me what it means to be your child and begin me in the path of relationship with you today and all the days ahead in my life and into eternity. This I pray in faith. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer, then I encourage you to talk to me or to Wayne, our pastor of congregational care, about that. If you have questions, I would be more than happy to talk with you about any of those things. Um, just let me know, and we will continue to be in prayer for you. Amen.